It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Meet Calvin. Hi. Calvin won 50 bucks off his roommate. That's because Calvin has the iHeartRadio app. iHeartRadio. Which he used to make a pasta song playlist. I'm a genioki. Calvin blasted this on repeat after betting his roommate couldn't complete a four-day juice cleanse. Oh, I can. The song Proper Papardell pushed him over the edge. Mm. I love carbs. Good thing Calvin is one of millions with the iHeartRadio app. Download it today and get paid to ruin your roommate's stupid cleanse. Like Calvin. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 120, an episode presented by 805 Beer. We are here at the end of the road at Tiopu for the Outer Known Tahiti Pro, the final stop on the 2022 WSL Championship Tour ahead of the world title deciding Rip Curl WSL Finals at Lower Trestles in just a few weeks. As of recording, we haven't started competition yet, but it looks like we may have commenced the women's event by the time today's episode airs. There is a lot of swell on the horizon, and it looks like we're in for quite a show with the world's best surfers vying for a spot in the WSL Final Five and a shot at the world title. The Outer Known Tahiti Pro will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. And while there hasn't been any competition yet, there have been a number of free surfs going down. The locals, as always, have been so gracious and accommodating. So a huge thank you to the Tahitians here at the end of the road. And a special shout out to Kiara and her dad, Hoy, uh, who shared some waves with us the other day and confessed that they're actually regular lineup listeners. Um, It's always a pleasure to meet people in person, Uh, both Kiara and her dad absolutely rip. Um, So I'm sure we'll all be seeing both and more of them in the future. All right. Episode 120. Today's guest is someone who is about as California core as it gets, a staple of the Ventura and Santa Barbara surfing communities, a member of the Momentum Generation, and a CT competitor back in the year 2000. He developed a reputation for being a performer in everything from 2 to 20 feet, riding for Billabong and the then nascent Hurley Surf Team, before shifting his talents to developing the Patagonia Surf Program with his brothers. In recent years, he spent a good chunk of his time on the family farm, raising a family of his own, and delivering some incredible directorial offerings in the form of Come Hell or High Water, Fish People, and the recently released Connor Coffin starring film Mind Surfing, which is now available on YouTube. We talk about all this and more. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with California's Keith Malloy. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. (laughs) All right. We have um, a treat today. We have uh, Elder God of the Ventura County surfing and ranching community. And um, as we're going to discuss a renaissance man, we've got Keith Malloy on the podcast today. Keith, um, thanks so much for coming on the lineup. Thanks, Dave. Super happy to be here and chat with you and catch up on a bunch of stuff. 
Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I want to get to eventually is, um, you know, the inspired, um, I don't know what you call it, comfort, confidence, calm, at least from an outsider's perspective, with which someone like yourself who has so many talents can seemingly step away from the public eye, go off the grid, only to reemerge when you feel it's appropriate. And often, you know, in, in truly exciting and unexpected ways, which is where today's episode comes from. You, you directed a movie, which is uh, not your first, but this one's about Santa Barbara's Connor Coffin. Um, and it's for the Firestone Walker Brewing Company, 805, very good beer. But can you start by, by talking us through how this project came into being? Yeah. Well, thanks for all the compliments first. <laughs> um, but I basically, you know, started a production company uh, about six years ago. And so have been working on some small films. And before that, done films in the past, I guess, over the last 10 years plus. Uh, my older brother, Chris, is a filmmaker and my brother, Dan, dabbles in film also. And through the whole, through our lives growing up and in, in kind of the, in the front of the camera, learned a lot of things about filmmaking and, and um, storytelling and imagery. So, so that's something as my surf career slowed down, I kind of dug into the film and that side of things and started production company a little while back and been enjoying doing films um, since. And then basically what happened was one day I was surfing out here in Santa Barbara area and Connor Coffin was out and I've known Connor since he was a little kid, uh, friends, good friends with his uncle, Jason Baffa and uh, Parker and Connor were always out, you know, just making me crack up. I think the first time I met Connor, like I said, he was about 12 and I was walking down the beach at Rincon and he's like, you want half of my burrito? <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, so it's nice because I've known those guys for a while. Anyways, I've been super proud of Connor over the years taking surfing to the level he has. And like me being in that arena at one point in my life to see him take it, not just from qualifying and being in the middle of the pack to taking it all the way up into being the top five. Uh, I just know how hard that is and um, what a jump to do that to go from like being on tour to being top five. It's just like pretty incredible. And so I've always been, I've been proud of him just his great power surfer anyways, but really neat to see him do that. And then, yeah, it was just, it was just a little while ago that he, we were in the lineup surfing chatting and he said, Hey man, is there any way you'd be interested in working on this film with me uh, for 805? And I was like, heck yeah, man, let's do it. You know, he's my little hometown hero and um, love the guys. Nicest human you could ever meet and um, that's where it started really I mean we had done a little bit of work with 805 um, previously and um, so it was an easy match when Connor it was cool that he asked me to do it that that kind of sealed the deal for me that's really cool and and you know when it comes to your own filmmaking the media landscapes changed you know so much since even when you were in front of the camera you know with the the Taylor Steele videos to, you know, the rise of the information age and social media and vlogging and, you know, clips everywhere, TikTok, et cetera. You know, when you approach your filmmaking, um, you know, whether it's your past projects or even this one with Connor, is that front of mind for you? Or are you thinking like, okay, like what, why are we doing this project and what are we offering viewers, you know, in point of difference compared to what they get kind of everywhere else in the media landscape? Uh, yeah, for me, it's it's all about having a kind of unique, interesting story to tell. And surfing falls 
in, in line with that a lot for me because I'm a surfer, but I, I feel like I'm happy to do a story on anybody that has an interesting story to tell. And actually, um, the other piece we did for 805 was on a, a 65 year old bronc rider in the rodeo and uh pretty i mean most that usually guys quit that when they're about t- late 20s and the fact that this local guy in santa barbara was still riding bronx at 65 i mean that's the kind of story that i'm like there it is let's do it and actually uh my partner's Brett Williams and Andrew Schoenberger did, did a lot of heavy, heavy lifting on that one too. And, and these guys are always coming up with great ideas as well. But um, those are the things that kind of hook me when I like, Oh my God, 65 year old bronc rider. Like that is mind blowing. And um, so it's, it, for me, it's just storytelling and it's like, it's, you know, when you can have like say rodeo or surfing be what that story, where that story lies, then it's even just a little more, visually beautiful and fun to work on those, you know? And, um, yeah, that's, that's where, that's where it's at for me. And, you know, it's like, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to make a film about somebody and dig up the dirt. And like, when I make film, I like to tell a story about somebody and make them look like as, as cool as they can and like tell the beautiful story that, that they have, you know? That makes a lot of sense. I don't, I don't know how much dirt the coffins would have in their lives already. They're pretty nice guys. <laughs> right. But, you know, I'm glad I, I, I'm glad you brought up those other projects because, you know, I, you know, whether it's um, Come Hell or High Water or Fish People, you know, the other projects that you've you've helmed have a, a, a really distinct perspective compared to a lot of the other stuff that we see in surfing or just kind of in action sports. And it um it jogs something for me. There's this author, um, Kim Stanley Robinson, who was actually featured on um, you know, the Ezra Klein podcast last week. And he's an author who's based in the High Sierras. And he has this concept called um, psychogeology, which is kind of a more specific way of like, you know, looking at like, oh, we're, we're all products of our environment. But he, he kind of has this idea that geology that you interact with, the physical space that your physical body occupies, has specific effects on the mind. And, and when I, you know, think about you and your brothers and your family, you guys are at this interesting intersection that's so much more than surfing. And it feels like whether it's ranching or climbing or just general sort of non-surf specific outdoor activities, that's really colored your perspective on storytelling in a unique way. Do you think that's fair? I mean, I do, I guess, um, you know, we got so lucky to grow up uh, my dad was a surfer. He was also a construction guy. He also, you know, did a little bit of cowboying. And one of my uncles was a big cowboy. Um, and I think more than anything, my dad showed us that side of life that's a little grittier, you know, uh, whether it be in any of those arenas. Um, and um, so I've always just kind of been attracted to that. That being said, part of it's just being a fun hog and doing what sounds interesting and and um challenging um so yeah i think that's where where we it's just shaped us my brothers and myself and then uh you know going ahead that's usually is when a film project comes along we connect the dots into that just because that's what we're passionate about and yeah i think that those elements where you're like a commercial fisherman and cowboy surfer i mean there's so many rock climber there's so many things but like that does shape you a hundred percent, you know, like, like, um, and I guess it's just like, 
yeah, going back to that thing where it's like, if you really want to push those things to the limit, it's going to make you a pretty salty, gritty person. And I respect that, you know, I don't know why, but that's where my interests lie, I guess. So I'm always excited to be working on a project that has something to do with that, you know. It makes a lot of sense. And it, it sounds like similar to the the idea that, again, like that environment really dictates a lot of the the mental pacing that goes along, even those activities you outlined. Like, you know, there's other places in surfing that you've been to, I've been to, whether it's, you know, Orange County or the Gold Coast, where it's like, you can almost overdose on so much surfing. Like you can surf every day and you can surf <laughs> good waves every day and you can read magazines and run into industry people. Whereas, you know, in Ventura and Santa Barbara, Specifically, like you're far enough removed and specifically the geography in Santa Barbara, not really getting a ton of surf in the summer, like it really forces you as a surfer to pause or even to kind of engage in other kind of lifestyle activities. And it's something I've noticed certainly in Connor, but but probably a lot with you and your own family as well, where it's like, no, you can't paddle out at the Superbank every single day up in Ventura or Santa Barbara. You got to figure out other things to do. And I I feel yeah. like that pacing has certainly influenced a lot of your work as well. Yeah. Um, so, so that's a great comment. Like, um, and th- so, so part of it for me too is, you know, I, I got, I have so lucky, lucky bastard, me and my brothers, you know, travel around and surf. Um, I don't take it for granted and got to see a lot of the, a lot of different places and probably could have ended up living in Hawaii or Australia or New Zealand or something like that. But it's something about, this coastline here in California that I love and I feel like I have roots here and, uh, and I love the ocean. Like, like I do not know who I would be if I didn't get to grow up surfing and, and so lucky about that. But also another thing that I've realized a little later in life is I do have other passions and it's really fun kind of starting from a mediocre level and learning that, that, that learning curve when you can like, get a lot better at something in a short period of time is so rewarding. Whereas like for surfing with me, I still love it. It's like still my thing. I do it multiple times a week. I take my kids surfing all the time. I love it. But, but then I feel like in surfing, I don't have that opportunity to uh, learn as much as I do in some of the other things. And, and that's rewarding when you're on that, when you're kind of a kook at something and you, but you're learning every day. It's a, it's a neat um, feeling and rewarding and, so that's kind of definitely what I still kind of like when I went climbing uh, with Jeff Johnson and those guys, I can do it. I, I'm not a good climber and I haven't been doing it real recently, but learning those, making those big steps and learning a lot in a short period of time is just so fun. And so, yeah, I mean, um, I, I guess, I guess there has been other things that I've been totally willing to give a try and my brother's kind of the same and like yeah it's beautiful up here and like I said before I had two uncles that were lifetime cowboys that were always a big inspiration to me and my dad had some cattle and he passed away and passed down the cattle and so my wife's big into horses my kids are too and so we kind of do a little bit of back and forth with the with the ocean and the horses and the cattle and things like that and yeah feel lucky to be able to do it and in the meantime, working on films and paying the bills. Um, thankful for that too, because a lot of the projects we get to work on are connected into to those two things in some way. 
I was going to say, like, that's quite the balance. And, and you added in the filmmaking part, you know, back to the, the Connor Coffin project. I know there's going to be some premieres in and around the U.S. Open. Um, I'm really excited to see the film as well for for people that are going to have the opportunity to check it out in person or check it out online. You know, what would be as an auteur, what would you tell them is like, this is this is why you should check this out. This is this is something you're going to learn about Connor through this film. I think it just peels back the onion a little bit on on who he is and um how he came to be who he is you know and just look into his personality and and um yeah man i i feel like it's a real endearing take on such a great young guy and such an incredible surfer and kind of ex- you know it's pretty pretty awesome shane dorian's in the film has some great things to say about connor and lakey peterson and you know there's some really cool great perspectives some of some of the other amazing surfers out there. And, you know, we, we really got lucky because we got to dig into his archive of amazing footage. And, um, I personally love the fact that he's just full on rail surfer. He's the guy that I, if I'm going to watch the contest and tune in, he's, he's, you know, one of my favorites to watch. Absolutely. So I think, yeah, we just peel back the layers and kind of get a little insight of how it all began for Connor and how he started surfing and how he fell in love with it. And then we got to uh, sprinkle in some of the best surfing he's done in the last five years. So pretty exciting and fun project to be a part of. Stoked. I can't wait to watch it. Well, we're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to refocus our lens on who is Keith Malloy and where did he come from? We'll be right back. <laughs> okay. Thank you. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. When you need 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we touched on this a little bit during the opening segment, um, but family it seems like it's always been such a huge part of, of being a Malloy. Can you give us some background on, on where specifically you were born, raised, what mom and dad were like, siblings? Like, What was it like growing up as a Malloy um, for you? So grew up, born in California, grew up in Ojai, California, have my older brother, Chris, younger brother, Dan. And I also have a little sister named Mary, who was born with a lot of disabilities. So that was pretty tricky because my dad was working full time. My mom had the three kids and then the little sister that had all these special needs. So that was, and we also gave us a lot of perspective. I mean, my little sister's blind and deaf and can't walk or anything like that. Can't really communicate very well or anything like that. So it kind of um, let us in on the side of life that I don't think a lot of people experience. Um, a lot of people do experience it as well, but at a young age, we kind of were like aware of how things can be. Um, and that being said, my dad was working full time. We, my dad uh, grew up in Topanga Canyon. Like I said, he was did construction most of his life, but he was a surfer, which was funny because back then Topanga was still little ranchettes and there was, I'm sure there was hippies there, but there was also a lot of rednecks there. My dad was definitely on the redneck side of things <laughs> and construction. But at the bottom of the canyon there, there was a wave. And um, so he he fell in love with surfing and later on moved over to Hawaii and went to school on Maui and continued to surf. And then uh, he and my, my mom got married and my grandfather uh, passed away. So my dad kind of came back to help with the construction business. So we grew grew up going to the um, beach on the weekends with my dad, and and um and you know it wasn't those one of those things. Where my dad wasn't the dad that pushed us at, at all. He's just he like showed it to us, and if anything, it was like out of reach a little bit because we lived half an hour from the beach and we only had weekends to go surf. So that just like fired us up even more to want that, and and it was just like by the time by the time we were out of grade school. We were just so locked in on surfing and found a way to get to the beach. And and then it was a neat place to grow up in Ojai because we had we did have horses and chickens and pigs and lived on a decent piece of size property. I mean, me, my brother, my three brothers and my sister and I all slept in the same bedroom in the early days. Like <laughs> it wasn't like we had this amazing spread out there or anything, but um, but we we were lucky to grow up in the outdoors and and um experience kind of that lifestyle and then yeah moving forward you know chris and i both moved to hawaii i don't know how far in depth you want me to go with this or if you should ask another question but yeah, yeah. yeah no that, that no we'll get there but but i think just unpacking all that which i really appreciate i i think yeah. a couple of things i think you know the perspective note you know when it comes to family i think is a, a really good one um yeah because i think it's specifically now that surfing's changed so much and it's grown so much you kind of you probably have a higher frequency of people that grow up in a lot of comfort and that's not to judge anybody, but it's like they, they get so singularly focused on doing one thing, whether it's surfing or kind of anything else. And 
they don't have that other perspective that comes in, whether it's, you know, you know, living with a family that, that has its own challenges or even kind of going back to your point on, you know, surfing felt like it was kind of far out of reach because I see that a lot, you know, having worked at the ASP WSL for, you know, 18 years or whatever it is now, it's like, you kind of see two distinct camps of people who, who make it to that elite level, whether they're championship tour surfers or just world class surfers. And the one camp is the dynastic camp of like, my grandfather was a pro surfer. My dad was a pro surfer. I've been sponsored since I was eight kind of thing. Yeah. But then the other camp are these people who had to fight for it in a way, you know, and I even put someone like, you know, Kelly in that camp or any of these surfers from Florida who grow up to surf really, really well in waves of consequence. It's like, it, it's not easily accessible to them. So they're hungrier. And, and it, yes. it does feel like like that creates an internal drive that it's really needed to get to the top of anything. Right. Oh, I would agree. I mean, there's a lot of incredible surfers out there that could be get to the level to be on the world tour, but they just don't have the desire or aren't willing to spend their life on the road, you know? Um, and I think that there's a lot of different reasons that bring out that desire. Sometimes it's family issues. It seems like a fair amount of the time there's like a family issue. You know, I know with Kelly, his dad wasn't around a lot. Um, I don't know if that makes that person want to prove themselves to their, you know, whatever dysfunction they have in their life. But um, a lot of times that's what draws it out. Um, and yeah, I mean, the level of competition that you have to be out to make it is is pretty mind blowing and not every, you know it's just a small few people that really have that desire for for you and your brothers in particular though it does sound like you had so many i don't want to say opportunities but like options in terms of activities you know you grew up further away from the beach i'm sure there were other sports that you guys were into but surfing obviously took a hold of you at a young age can you can you yeah. walk us through that like did yeah. anything else ever kind of pull you away from surfing in, in terms of like oh maybe i want to play baseball or maybe i want to go to school or maybe i want to work on the ranch but but it ended up being surfing for you guys in the beginning uh definitely we were all three of us brothers were playing a bunch of baseball as kids and my brother chris he actually played in high school for a year and like made the varsity team when he was a freshman um so I pretty much guarantee we would have gone the baseball route. Probably my dad played baseball as well. Had some relatives that were in the pros. I mean, yeah, I, I, as we were getting involved with the other sports and surfing, there was definitely a stage there where could have gone anyway, you know, um, mm. <laughs> no surprise that like surfing is, is the ones, I don't know if you want to call it a sport or what, but it's, it's like you go, you go out there to, have a lot of fucking fun and end up that it's like a sport and a direction you can go. And it's like, yeah, there was a moment probably in my dad's head where he's like, Oh, I want him to play baseball and go to college. Since he was a surfer, he was like, Hey, I'm going to let these kids run with it. He knew how passionate we were about it. And um, yeah, that's just how it unfolded. But I mean, like I, I could have seen myself be, it's so funny because surfing is like such not a jock sport, but I could have gone that way. I could have been full on baseball, football, who knows? I would have wanted to do something active, you know, um, and, and athletic. I know that. And it could have gone any, could have gone in a couple different ways. And I'm fortunate. I feel so lucky that it ended up being surfing because I truly feel like surfing's. if you're surfing, you're the luckiest person on the planet. It's something so special about it. 
and that um, it's not like the other sports. And, and it's like immersing yourself into the environment. It's just the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, you know, cutting your teeth and, and developing and, and kind of those nascent days of professional surfing for you and your brothers, we're talking probably, you know, late 80s, early 90s. Ventura County is still kind of far enough away from, you know, Orange County, geographically speaking, I'd imagine, and, and, and for your family in particular, not being like on the beach. And as you said, having to kind of work to access it, you know, yeah. was, was that pathway towards professional surfing a little more challenging for you guys? Did you find it harder to get attention? I mean, what was it like for you? So definitely the, the thing about it, without a question is like you go down to San Diego and you hang with Rob Machado and he walks around town and everybody's like clapping for him as he goes down the road. But then you go, you know, Taylor Knox and those guys, I mean, they're just like celebrities. Like growing up in Ventura and Oxnard and area up here, there's a lot of fucking jealous people that were not, mm. they were, you know, like I think because I think my brothers and I showed a lot of respect from the beginning. And um, so I don't feel like, I really wasn't hassled, but, but there was not that same feeling of being like a completely celebrated bro. It's like a lot of people in the Ventura Oxnard area are, you know, working hard jobs, trying to sneak a session in. And so it was, yeah. And I, I mean, I appreciate it because it gave me a good perspective and, it, and, you know, when I went out there and traveled and went other places, I was like, really watch my P's and Q's because I had to at home and, and then the nice part was I grew, gained respect at home by doing that. And then, you know, all the, all the guys you want to be in with were my buddies. So it wasn't like a major problem, but, um, but it's definitely a different world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, I'm fortunate that I get to call, you know, Oxnard home and have for 12 years, but you're right. Like it's a lot of, a lot of black wetsuits, a lot of white surfboards. And, and it, it seems like, it seems like that culture certainly seeps into people that reach, you know, the levels that you and your brothers did as well. Like whether you look at someone like a Timmy Curran or a Dane Reynolds or a yeah. Chris Brown or Bobby Martinez, Connor, you know, there is that element of, it's not so much you're apologizing for being a professional surfer, but you're kind of, it's, it goes back to that perspective piece where it's like, it's not all flash. It's not all everything. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and and I'd imagine that when you were coming up, when you and your brothers are coming up, you, there was sort of those two trajectories in terms of becoming a professional surfer. It was well, there's the competitive path, and then there's the the editorial path. Did you have a like an aha moment when you were younger, where you're like, oh, I might actually be pretty good at this. I think I can do this as a job. Yeah, I think that um, you know, I I did pretty well, and then in like the amateur scene, and was on the national team and all that stuff. And then it was interesting though, like I was never, I don't, I, I never quite had that competitive pull and I, and in my mind, I was never like going to be one of the best competitive surfers out there. But that being said, I did, I did well as an amateur. Then I, I kind of just moved with my brother, Chris to Hawaii and stopped doing the contest for a while and just wanted to try to surf big, big waves. And, um, so there was like, Hmm, I wonder what way this is going to go, um, and then, um, shoot, we just fell in, into awesome friendships with with um, guys like Taylor Steele and Shane Dorian and Kelly Slater and Ross Williams. And we got very lucky that we had this, like, clique of friends that was kind of on the cutting edge of surfing. And, um, yeah, slowly but surely, 
it started unfolding for us. But I mean, when I first moved to Hawaii, Chris and I lived in a one one bedroom in the VLAN, old school VLAN apartments, the white ones, and and we're eating tuna out of a can and, um, you know, had 60 bucks in the bank account. And so it could have gone a lot of different ways. <laughs> um, but um, I'm trying to think there's like one moment, you know, where it dawned on me that it was going to happen. Um, but it, it was, I, I would say like it slowly but surely started happening and, and we stuck with it. And um, yeah, we just had this like insatiable desire to, you know, travel across the world and try surfing some big wave and get back on the plane. Like, you know, like we were so in love with it that it just, it, it's, it's slowly but surely unraveled into a legitimate career for, for all three of us. You know, and, and it also like hearing you describe that too, where it's like, oh, well, you know, we, we did the surfing around Ventura County and home. And now we have this opportunity to go chase big waves in Hawaii. It feels like you guys were almost ahead of the curve in the sense that surfing went through this very like specialized generation where it's like, you're an air guy or you're a turn guy or you're a big wave guy or you're a toast. You know, it's like, as opposed to like a more generalist, like, well, you know, if you like these things, you can be good at all of it, you know? And it feels like you and your brothers were of a group that was like, well, we're going to try to do everything, you know? And, and in particular with someone like you, I know you said you're not drawn towards competition, but you did qualify for the show. You know, you, <laughs> you did make the championship tour, which is no small feat. Um, you qualified for the 2000 tour. So yeah. how did that come about? If you were kind of in this space, like, oh, I don't know if I need to be ultra competitive, but then, you know, it almost seems like you were too good not to do it. You know? Yeah. So, so what happened was, is I was riding, I think I was riding for reef Brazil at the time and they did three big QSs down in South America. And they asked me to go do the events. And so I hadn't been, I hadn't really been doing the, the contest. And then they asked me to go and I said, okay, sounds good. I'll go. And ended up winning the six star in Peru and then all of a sudden it's, that was like the, that's right at the beginning of the year. There was like, um, Argentina, Peru, uh, I, those, what, what wave in Peru is it at? Um, curiosity? what is it called? Punta Rocas, I think. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, it's like, yeah. a, it's like yeah. a version of lowers, but just bigger. Like it's like it's yeah. stretched yeah. out and a larger playing field. And so the first two events, I, I think I got like semis or quarters in the first contest in Argentina. And then, Peru was like pumping and good and I ended up winning it. And it was like, I, I it was a six star then. I don't know if that's relevant now, but so all of a sudden. It'd be like a, like a QS, it'd be like a challenger series yeah, event now yeah. for our listeners. Yeah. So all of a sudden I'm like leading the ratings in the QS by a mile and I'm like, <laughs> wow, I better do this. The funny part is I didn't have a good seed that year because I didn't do the contest before. So like I was starting from round one and I ended up not qualifying that year, but I did them all. And I did well in some events, but then that sucked me in. And I was like, oh, God, I, I can do this. I, I should do this. And, um, and you know, I look back on it and it was like, it's really fun to test yourself. Um, and, and I did the QS for a while and then finally qualified. And then I broke my foot the year I qualified right at the end of the year in Hawaii. And then so I kind of missed the first event of the tour. And then the second couple events, I was like in an ankle brace and just like, and then, so all of a sudden I had a really bad start to the year and I decided right. at that point, I'm like, I'm going to have fun and surf the tour this year, but I'm not willing to go back and do the QS all over again. 
But I look back on all that and I was so, it was such a fun time. And even though I don't consider myself a full on contest surfer or never was like amazing at it, I'm, I thought, you know, I'm not like bitter about it. It was fun. It was, it was a great experience at that age, testing yourself against all the best guys, you know. And you get to lord that over your brothers at the family yeah. dinner table too, when it comes up. The craziest part is, is Dan could have gone on to be in the top five. I think he beat me almost every single time we had a heat. In a, in a pro contest, Dan would smoke me. So everyone knows Dan's the best, <laughs> but, but I guess I got a little edge on him as far as like qualifying, you know, Dan could have done. Yeah. yeah. In, in, in the Al Hunt expanded universe, you're up here cause you're on those rankings. <laughs> so you should be proud of yourself for that. Classic. And it, it's interesting too, cause it, it's such a, you mentioned the, the time period too of it, you know, it was you know, whether you'd committed to saying like, I'm just going to do the CT this year. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But 2000, right before, you know, 9-11, 2001. And I'd imagine that, and I mean, we're not, we're, we're all kind of going through similar kind of outside of surfing, external atmospheric events too, where it's like, you know, pandemics really disrupted a ton of careers, you know, and I'd imagine that, you know, 9-11 and, and, what happened obviously outside of surfing, but inside of surfing too, had some influence on what you were planning on doing with your career after that. Wait, rehash that for me one more time real quick. Even in, just in so far as like, you know, so you, you're on the championship tour in 2000, oh, yeah. you don't requalify. Yes. Even if you'd wanted to in 2001, like so much had been disrupted in the world after 9-11 okay. that it's yeah. like, it it almost forces you to reevaluate at that For point. sure. So, so, yeah, at that point for me, I was like, I felt like, hey, I can, I can like push on the QS and get back on tour and probably do okay. And, but I'd never expected myself to be like top five guy, which was like shooting myself in the foot anyways. So, but so I was like, hey, let's, I, you know, I still had the opportunity to do some amazing traveling around the world. And I kind of focused on the far north and the far south and Iceland and, Norway and Russia and like to me that was still incredibly interesting and something I wanted to do but it also was a little wake-up call for me too to be like okay well let's start the next part of my life you know mm -hmm. like um, and it was tricky actually doing all the contests and then not having that schedule in front of you and kind of um, right. like that there's something really like doing the contest like the guys that have been doing it for 10 and 20 years like they're going to have a hard time when they quit because when you have that schedule and you have that challenge laying ahead of you every year, it's, it's kind of like a, a neat groove to be in. But yeah, I, you know, got the opportunity to do a ton of traveling when I quit the tour and work on some really neat projects and do, do some stuff that I've been proud of ever since. Um, I was lucky that I had options outside of the tour, I guess you could say. Totally. And I mean, I've heard similar things from, you know, even someone like Dane or, or whoever, like people who, decide that I'm not doing the tour anymore, but I'm still a professional free surfer. And they've kind of said, you know, one of the things about the tour is at least it provides like a calendar structure to your life where it's like surfing's pretty intangible to begin with and unstructured, but you're like, well, I'm going to go surf Emma Wood and I know I've got a contest at J Bay coming up. So I'm just going to try to go right. <laughs> yeah. You know, kind of thing. Like at least it was like some sort of like specific goal and you're free. And then they've also like, well, now that I'm just doing film, pro it's like, it's like it's paralysis by so much opportunity because you're like, well, what do I do? Right. Um, but for you in particular, you mentioned you had these awesome relationships and you were so ever present, you know, for me as a young surfer, whether it was with Billabong or then Hurley and then eventually Patagonia, it feels like 
you transitioned into this free surfing space and also drew upon, you know, your your childhood development of being very comfortable being outdoor and being and being very flexible and adaptable in those situations that you were almost tailor-made for that part of your professional surfing career. I think so. I think my brothers and I all like fit into that category that wasn't contest better than anything. Like I said, I'm not, I don't, I, I enjoyed those years that I did the contest and I'm glad I did. But like, yeah, I think we were willing to go somewhere, you know, for a month and sleep on the gravel and surf if it was huge or surf if it was small and just had this really cool passion for it. And, um, yeah, it's it's hilarious because like you're like, oh, I got off tour and didn't know what to do with myself a little bit, but it's it's, it's like being like a rock star that has a drug problem. It's like, dude, you, right. you're one of the luckiest bastards out there. And um, so I always kind of felt like really lucky, and that's why later in life I've tried to help out and do some surf camps, whether it's surfers healing or the me water thing, taking you know underprivileged kids surfing and stuff. That is really rewarding to me now. Um, because I do feel like surfing has been such a positive influence on my life that I feel really great when I can share that with other people being like, I it, naturally, I like teaching surfing and things like that. Um, so for me at this stage in the game to like go uh, take some kids surfing with the me water foundation that have never maybe even been to the beach or never, you know, had anyone teach them anything hardly basically underserved, get underserved kids, like that, that at the end of the day, watching their smile on their face when they get a nice ride, that's, that's kind of where it's at for me today. Yeah. You know, it, it, it also makes me think of something I was going to bring up before when we were talking about the community in, in Ventura County and how, you know, you do have to have your P's and Q's and how, you know, and the, you're not the only person to say this, most professional surfers from this region say the same thing where, you know, that being a professional surfer, putting stickers on your board is not always celebrated as much as it is in other places. And um, I've cited this quote from it's either you or your brother, I can't remember, but it was in like Surfer Magazine when I was a little kid and and someone had brought it up and one of you guys said, well, look, you know, when it comes to being a professional surfer, I look at it as I can either go surfing to go surfing, which I want to do, or I could, you know, hammer nails to go surfing. So I just go surfing to go surfing because I get to surf more. And and when I was like 10, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense <laughs> to me, man. That makes a lot of sense. But but also like I wonder too, like now that we're both older, I could kind of appreciate that you know, maybe maybe hammering nails to go surfing is not the worst either because then you're able to kind of really like bisect your personal and your professional passions in a way. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you kind of look at that through the lens of history. Oh, I agree. I agree. I mean, experiencing... Well, Peter Cole said it great, who passed away recently. He was like, he surfed until he couldn't surf. He surfed into his 80s, I think, and just lived for it. And he said, the reason I still surf, all those other guys were spoiled. They got to surf whenever they wanted. And they they sold weed and like, you know, found a way to not have to work. He's like, I worked. I was a teacher my whole life. And that's what kept the fire alive for me. And that's why I still surf at 80. All those other guys you know, they got out there t- to the point where they got sick of it and moved on, but not me. And um, I always thought that was an awesome quote by Peter Cole. Um, and yeah, um, I don't know. I For me, I like being in the elements. And yeah, I mean, those guys that huh, I'm kind of getting lost here, but the guys who 
pound nails and then they get to score those good waves, they probably cherish it more than the guy that's just out there all day. You know what I mean? Um, so it's all, you got to put it all into perspective and yeah, it's, it's, uh, I mean, that's why like, you know, when you got into those lineups and in places and those guys were plumbers and carpenters and stuff, it's like, they deserve this wave, you know, like, right. And I, and I actually respect localism and think that there's a place for it. You know, it's not like you need to hurt people or, destroy cars but there should be a pecking order and the guy that's seniority uh is a big deal in the lineup that's the only way you can have the lineup function properly and so i kind of figured that out at an early age <laughs> yeah i mean i i think the separation between like you know this is my profession versus this is my personal passion i i think i've as i've gotten older it's something i'm more envious of where it's like you put a wetsuit on and you're like, God damn it. The person who works at this wetsuit company didn't respond to my email. I don't even want to wear this thing. And I'm like, why am I thinking that? <laughs> right. What? I can't get rid of it, but it's just like one of those weird, weird things. Yeah. When, when you shifted focus, um, not that it was ever not your focus, but I guess more fully into traveling and, and, and being in front of the camera. Is that when, your professional interest in filmmaking behind the camera started to take a more fuller shape for you? Yeah, you know, I, like I said, Chris was doing some films and did Thicker Than Water and um, some of those moonshine films back in the day. And, you know, it was like I got to be right there and help a little bit, but mostly kind of learn a lot. And then, yeah, I, I think in my mind, I was like, okay, well, this is probably a good long game for me as well. And then, I wasn't super excited just to make like a normal surf movie though, like, you know, a shredder surf movie. And so that's the first film I worked on was Come Hell or High Water, the body surf film. And um, I got into body surfing because I was burnt out on doing airs and hitting the lip 10 times. And I wanted to get back to that thing of just riding waves and feeling the glide. And um, that's why we all started surfing, right? Like, like that initial feeling of, flying through the water and that feeling of almost like you're flying like a bird or something <laughs> not to get cheesy but so then i would hang out with mark cunningham on the north shore he was the godfather of body surfing i loved loved the guy we would go body surf a lot for me that was a nice break from you know the pro surfer ripping thing so then my first film ended up i'm like i'm gonna make a body surf film um and i was neat because I'm like, maybe 30 people will show up at a surf shop to watch this if I'm lucky. And it was just like, you know, it was kind of a strange concept to try to do that. But I was so into it. I ended up doing the body surf film and um, it was just perfect timing because I think surfing was kind of ready for it. And people wanted to try different things, whether it was like fish surfing fishes or body surfing. So, we, you know, we timed that great and a lot of things fell in line for that movie. And that was the one where I spent a couple of years busting my ass, spent some of my own money. In the end, it was like super rewarding to do that film. And I was re really passionate about it as well. So that was the thing that kind of like went, oh, okay, I can do this, I think, you know? And um, that was pretty exciting because then I was pretty sure this was the direction I wanted to go. That makes sense. And, and I mean, when you talk about, I, I would say that probably your attraction to it mirrored the community's attraction to it, which is probably why it was so successful in the sense of it, it kind of goes to what we we're talking about just before, where it's like, 
body surfing is like a stripped down minimalist approach to enjoying this thing. You know, it doesn't come with all the affectation of like, I need to wear this t-shirt and have this wetsuit and this traction, all this stuff. Right. And it's like, nope, this is just the minimalized version of enjoying this activity, which you can have like in stand-up surfing as well. But, you know, that's the other thing I, I think about on that, um, Kim Stanley Robinson comment from before is he was talking about, you know, when we used to hike the high Sierras in the sixties and seventies, it was having the least amount of things you can to maximize the experience. And he was commenting on particularly like young Americans that he sees out on the trails. He's like, they've got so much stuff, you know, like they've got so, like huge backpacks and like all this gear and they're in these huge cars. And he goes, he's, he goes, I get it. He goes, how do you, how are you able to kind of cut through like the very, very loud siren call of capitalism in America because, but eventually they figure it out where they're like, I just need the stuff that works and I don't need the other 99% of it. And I, th I think there's probably a parallel there with, you know, your attraction to um, body surfing at that time. I mean, absolutely. Um, body surfing is about the personal experience. It's like if you were to go to a body surf contest, I mean, it's it's really hard to do right and everything, but it's like it's not like it's not going to be like this awesome spectator sport, you know, unless it happens to be <laughs> right. ten foot wedge. Otherwise, you just see these heads in the water moving around. It's like, but selfishly, you're okay. And the other thing too is like you're not standing up to show people how awesome you are. You're you're doing it for your own personal enjoyment, and um, it really is just the purest form of surfing. And like you said. You, and just go out there in board shorts, maybe wear some fins. Usually some people, I mean, obviously that helps, but I mean, like, it's really nice to just be you in the water. And it, it is to me, the purest form of surfing and, and, and so special and does just take you back to that pure pleasure of being a kid and being in the water. And um, yeah, I mean, it's neat. You've seen a lot more folks getting into it as well. And it kind of loosens up the lineup in a good way where people can be out there and enjoying themselves and they don't have to all go for the same wave. But yeah, I, I, I feel blessed to have fallen into that. It's been a great outlet for me and I still do it a lot and body surf with the Ventura boys at the jetty. Now and again, they put a really great little comp on and anyways, such a pure, pure way to ride waves. Um, I, I'm still in love with it. We, we talked a little bit before about however present you were certainly as a, as a professional surfer and then a brand ambassador and, and, one of the the major major things that happened in the surfing world was you and your brothers um beginning to work with patagonia as brand ambassadors because you know and this might be some revisionist history that that i pulled from some magazine somewhere but it, it sounded like you guys walked away from at the time what was more of a like a traditional kind of like yep i get my stickers i'm getting x amount of money i go on y amount of trips a year to Mm, no, we, we want to do something different with our time and with our profile and start, you know, whether it's co-developing products or, or working in more of, um, you know, ecological health kind of, um, company, mm -hmm. ecologically minded company. And, and can you talk us through that time in your career and, and how the decision came about and what that experience has been like? Yes. So, so I think, yeah, my brothers and I were lucky enough to, we rode for Billabong with Bob Hurley, that was great. And then Hurley, uh, you know, then Bob went on to do his own company, Hurley, obviously. And like, what was that? Well, real quick, what was that conversation like when he was like, Hey, I'm going to go do this thing. And you're like, easy, I'm with you. It was pretty neat. Yeah. I mean, Bob one day was like, got something important to tell you guys come down to the office. And he's like, 
I mean, it's so funny at that age and everything. He's like Billabong is like, you know, it's like so bigger than life kind of. And he's like, well, we're going to change the name. It's going to be Hurley. I'm going to do it, do it on my own. You guys in, you want to do it with me? And I like Bob so much and my brothers as well. And we'd had such a good relationship with him. We were like, heck yeah, let's do it. You know? And, um, it was a pretty neat time. It was, it was, um, I know it was really exciting for Bob and the whole crew down there. And, um, it was a cool ride for my brothers and I, and always loved Bob and such a great guy. And then I remember like flying to South Africa with the, the first like Hurley t-shirts and Hurley wetsuits and like showing up and everybody's like, Whoa, dude, look, it's her. Like he's wearing Hurley stuff. <laughs> it's like, now it just seems kind of silly, but it, at the right. time it was, it was a big deal in the industry, you know? And, and we had such an awesome ride there with Bob Hurley and Paul Gomez. He was our team captain. And those guys were like, Hey, you guys, you're, you're hammering, do whatever you want to do. And they gave us a travel budget and it was like, they, they were really great at just being like, we're not going to tell you what guys what to do. Just keep doing what you're doing and, and we support you. And, and, um, we were able to roll with that. And then, and then something interesting happened is I think around the time that, uh, I don't know if I'm totally right on this, but I think Hurley sold to Nike, mm-hmm. um, which was like a big change, you know? And then at the same time, um, I became neighbors with Yvonne Chouinard, like randomly, like he lived in a house here and I bought a little crappy house that was like right behind his house. And I didn't know the Chouinards, didn't know the Chouinards back then. Next thing I know, I'm walking out my front door and I'm looking into Yvonne in his garage and he's the founder of Patagonia and the owner of Patagonia. And we kind of hit off some conversations and I kind of started, oh, oh yeah, Patagonia. You know, it's so funny because even growing up in Ventura, it's from Patagonia. But back then, like, right, yeah, no one didn't know. And even from being from there, you're like, oh, yeah, some Alpine company or whatever. Right. <laughs> so so anyways, I made this crazy connection with Yvonne. But at the same time, our buddy Jeff Johnson, who we lived with in Hawaii, was working for Patagonia, one of our best friends that we lived with in Hawaii. And like there started to be these little conversations going about, huh, there could be something here. And then when, you know, as soon as we started learning about the company and realizing they're making like this incredible product, you know, that lasts longer environmentally built more sound um all these things about the product that to us was like wow we've been we've been in the surf industry who you know we've had a great run and thankful for all the folks that supported us but like those clothes are just fashion and a lot of them fall apart very quickly meanwhile my brothers and i are doing these trips to iceland and antarctica and these places where you need some really badass gear to to to, to stay warm and survive. So all of a sudden these, these two worlds started colliding. And before we knew it, we had a, we had a opportunity to be ambassadors and come into Patagonia and help with the surfboards and the wetsuits and the clothing and A to Z kind of launch the Patagonia surf side of things, which had been dabbled with in the past, but hadn't really worked. Um, so, so yeah, we had, we had, um, you know, and, and through that we were able to work on a lot of films and books through Patagonia and my brother Chris made the 180 South film and and later on I did the Fish People film and so 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 it was it was very it was really a great run with those guys we we had a lot of fun and did 
that was when I got to climb El Capitan, <laughs> which I still can't believe I got to do and stuff like that. So yeah, the Patagonia thing just seemed to be the right fit for us. And in the beginning, like I said, a lot of people in the surf world were like, Patagonia? Like I think on Surfline, it said the Malloys moved to Patagonia, which meant like we were leaving Hurley to go to Patagonia maybe, but everyone thought we had moved to South America because they didn't even know what Patagonia was at that time. <laughs> right. Like as a, as a clothing brand. Yeah. It, it's so interesting, you know, like I, you, you mentioned climbing and um, I'm not going to belabor the podcast with my own affectation for it, but like my, my, my affection, excuse me, but my kids got me into it in the last year and it's like, it's fixed my back and I love it. And I've like gone so deep down, like even yeah. the content in climbing as well. And, and I was talking to someone about this recently and, and hearing, you know, climbers like Tommy Caldwell or whoever talk about, you know, the Don Wall in El Capitan. It's like the closest thing I've ever heard to anyone talk about something like dedicating your life to like pipeline or something, you know, like it becomes this, there just seems like there's so much crossover in the sense that, you know, it's in a way it's, it becomes people's lives and it's like a meditation, but you can invest so much into a particular venue or a particular place. And, and in that investment, you find out so much about yourself in it. It's really, it's very, very cool. I think there's so many, I feel like there's way more parallels maybe between climbing and surfing than, um, you know, MMA and surfing, which. Oh my gosh. I agree. Crossover du jour. (laughs) I agree a hundred percent. It's, it's, it's the closest you can come in ways for sure. I think that's like, I think, I think my brother Chris came up with, um, the cleanest line, which Mm. for Patagonia became like their big blog and all those things. But the cleanest line, whether it was in surfing or climbing, that was kind of the goal, you know, because they have so many similar qualities in them. And, you know, both of them, you're challenging, you're challenging yourself in the elements. And, um, and, and yeah, you can push it to the level where it's, you know, you can push it as far as you want, you know, and, uh, and I love that. I love the grittiness in that, you know, like the, the big, big wall climbers to me are some of, some of my just absolute heroes. Like you cannot be more badass than a big wall climber. And um, I'm close to surfing. So big wave surfers are incredible, but even like the big wall climbers <laughs> talk about the pain game. <laughs> totally. But it's funny you bring that up too, right? Because it is one of those things where I feel like whether you're a surfer or just a fan of surfing, like you either directly or indirectly assign almost like a supernatural characteristic to people who could do it really well. And it's similar in climbing. Like you go to the gym and you're like, holy shit, like that person, that's like a superhero. Yeah. They can do that. Like, and it just, I think it's just one of those kind of like physical human acts where you're like, it's, it's insane to me that a human body can do that and that yes. someone can, as you pointed out, is that tough. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And even the big wave surfing these days, like the level the guys are taking it to, I'm just like, man, um, I guess, you know, you, you could make an argument for the equipment and things like that. But like when I watch some of the stuff going down, it's like knowing a little bit what it takes to sit in that spot to try to catch that wave. Um, it's really cool to see them push it to the next level. And, um, and, um, yeah, I'm a little more clueless in the climbing world, which even makes it a little more unbelievable what the guys are doing, but, um, I love it all. Soak it up and and it inspires me, you know, (laughs) I love it. Well, we got a couple more topics as well as our listener questions for you, but we're going to take one more quick break to get a word in from our sponsors 
and we'll be right back. Perfect. Hey, I hear you think podcasts are all about true crime, huh? Well, wise guy, the iHeartRadio app's got all kinds of podcasts. We got stuff you should know and stuff they don't want you to know. We got Bobby Bones, Big Boy, and Lou Later. We got SpongeBob Binge Pants and Exotic Erotic Storytime. We got Doughboys, Two Dudes in a Kitchen, Green Eggs and Dan. Hey, we got ElfQuest. We got podcasts for everything on the iHeartRadio app for free. If you don't download that, well, that's not just a true crime, my friend. That's criminal. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com code the lineup 1515 so it it is really interesting hearing the trajectory of your life um you know a little bit coming full circle which which happens a lot in surfing you know like a lot of us kind of break out of where we were using surfing as sort of this vessel to be like, I'm going to go see the world and experience all these different people and these different cultures and then bring that back into my own life. And it, it sounds like between the surfing and the ranching and the filmmaking and, and you having a family and being close with your extended family as well, you it sounds like you're busier than maybe you've ever been in your career right now. I mean, Oh my gosh. I, so I have three kids. I have two girls 11 and seven and then i have a two-year-old boy and um so it's just chaos but awesome (laughs) it's great (laughs) and then my wife my wife has her own business um heritage goods and supplies and so she has she she works full-time and then i i have the production company down here in santa barbara by marion films so without a doubt like i remember back in the day i think i thinking i was busy and it's funny to see my friends (laughs) that don't have kids um, I mean, the kid factor is what just is the, the crazy factor. And my buddies that don't have kids and they're like, oh, I'm so busy. I got, I'm like, you don't even know, man. Like, <laughs> you got try, no idea. <laughs> try juggling three shit kids, man. It is nuts. Um, so, yeah, um, super busy, but thankful. There's times definitely where I want to break from it all. But realistically, I'm just so thankful. It's It's all going well and love spending time with the family and get to spend a lot of time with them and um, take them surfing. and ride horses my daughters are super into the horses as well and um yeah so so yeah busy 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 right now that's for sure it's interesting on on the topic of parenting as someone it sounds like 
you weren't pushed to do anything in particular. You know, you kind of were given these options and gravitated towards what interested you and then, and then committed yourself to getting very, very good at it. Um, and as we kind of talked about before, especially in surfing, you see both sides, like you see kind of the dynastic side, which it's like, I want, I know we've, we've moved the family to San Clemente. We've got the sprinter van and we've got the camera on the beach and this kid's going to be a professional surfer, whether they like it or not. Right. And that's, and I bring this up, I, I should caveat that. Like I bring this up on the podcast a lot. It's not a knock on anyone that's doing that. It's like, you know, it, that's awesome. But it's, it's more just a, like a, as a, as a parent yourself, it doesn't sound like you're pushing your kids into doing anything specifically, you know, yeah. like you're kind of just letting them find their own thing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, so my dad didn't push us. My mom didn't, but that was one thing is like, if you're going to do it, put, put your effort into it. And if, and if your coach says, do this, be the first one that does it. Like, like if you're going to do it, do it. But also they didn't like try to funnel us into one thing at all. It was like, do you want to play baseball? You want to do surf? You want to, you know, and they wanted us to be active and do things right. and give us opportunities. Um, but it is tricky now because I have young kids and, um, and I'm like, wow, you know, if they wanted to take a shot at being a pro surfer, I, you can't just like, cause, cause me and my brothers, we were, I was like 13 years old and riding a single fin. Like, I got in late, you know, and, um, and yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure that can still be done, but like, I'm like, wow, do I like start coaching them a little bit and like kind of make right, them right. surf or, but the, the nice part is I'm not, you know, it'd be great and fun if they do that. But I have a feeling like my older daughter is more into riding horses. And I just talked to Mike Stewart yesterday and his daughter is like in Texas doing like, uh, the world kids rodeo like in mike stewart is <laughs> is like in cowboy attire in texas um and his daughter did amazingly well i think she got fifth or something but like i feel the same way like as long as my kids find something that makes them happy and they love and they pursue it i'll be happy you know like um and i do want to be able to surf with my kids and i think that will happen regardless but whatever they decide to go for i just want to support it i just want happy happy family members and kids and and yeah i but i mean like my daughter millie plays soccer and like i am almost like a little league dad out there go go and i like <laughs> never played soccer in my life i'm not into soccer but it's a pretty neat feeling to see your kid doing something and they were in the junior lifeguards last week and i was you know it's really fun to to see them excel and do well it's funny. I, I say my daughter is uh, she plays uh, on the VC Fusion Club team, and I'm not. I never thought I'd be that person like yelling yeah. at games, but I just like go. Yeah. I'm like, and I'm like, that's amazing. But it, it's it, it's interesting too. Like, yeah, I'm like, why am I this person? Um, but I was talking to someone about this recently, um, and and it it's this weird challenge in parenting now, where when when we were growing up, and I'm I'm a little bit younger than you, not much, but like there were certainly less options of things to do like we didn't have like phones or that right. video games really or anything so it's like so for something like surfing it's like yeah that that had like outsized volume compared to the few other options that were there and now kids it's like well, i've got like a billion things to do like so so on the one hand like whatever it is whether it's surfing or soccer or climate, whatever has to compete with more things right but then on the other hand to your point like i don't as a parent, like, I don't know if I want my kids to spend all their time doing one thing, if that's not the one thing they want to do. But to your point, it's like, well, man, if, if they're talented and I want them to maybe have a shot at a career here, 
the environment out there is they're competing against people who that's the only thing they do every day. And it's like, shoot, am I a bad dad? Cause I'm not like out there drilling my kid on like, you know, soccer <laughs> skills or whatever's going on. It's tricky. Being a parent's tricky. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm just taking the route where it's like, if they're going to fall in love with it and they're mid teens and really go for it, I'm, I'm hoping there's still time to excel because I think like you, like being the little league coach at such a young age, I think chances are they're going to burn out. And even if they don't burn out, it might just be not as healthy in the long run. And and, it, and we all know it has to come with has to come from within, you know. So I'm like, I'm, I'm going to stall in these early teen years and just see if they hopefully find a passion. And I don't know, maybe I'll screw it up and I'll miss their opportunity because <laughs> They're not surfing eight hours a day when they're 11, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I think you agree with me. It's like, if you push them, that's probably like, even then, okay. So you have a kid who goes on to be an amazing, he's coached by, when he was eight years old. Like, is that going to give him happiness in the long run? You know, uh, maybe, maybe not, you know? Yeah. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tricky one. It's hard to say. I, 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 can't remember where I saw this. I should attribute it somewhere, but I, I saw something about parenting recently that, and the quote was, um, you know, you, you should do your best to, um, uh, prepare your kids for the path, not prepare the path for them. And that really struck with me because I think it's like, you know, you're like, oh man, I want, like, I, you know, you love your kids and you're like, I, I want them to be successful yeah. and, you know, maybe I'll just help them out here, but it doesn't help them in the long run. You're like, well, you're going to have to walk, whatever the path is, you know, you're going to have to do it on your own. So the best I can do is, is help you have the tools to do it on your, by yourself. And then there's also the factor where it's like, if it's handed to them, maybe they don't want to do it. Like, I, I feel like with my oldest daughter, if I'm like, yeah, you should do this. She'll be like, no, I want to do that. So it's almost like <laughs> sure, yeah. you got to play a little res- reverse psychology almost in some cases. <laughs> well, back to back to your your interest right now, right? You've got the ranching. You're still a very, very high level surfer. You've got your your film career. You know, we've got the Connor Coffin film that's dropping and premiering. It's going to be really exciting. What are some of the other projects that you have on the horizon um, for you from a filmmaking standpoint? Well, it looks like there's one coming up here um, with 805 again on Stetson Lawrence. He's a bull rider, um, rodeo guy, and and that seems to be right around the corner. Um, and he broke his neck, so I but he's, he's not paralyzed, but he might have to retire. So it should be a pretty interesting story. And then I have kind of like a, a couple other projects. One of them for sure. I just not ready to quite talk about yet, but pretty excited about it. And then doing some really cool stuff with Yeti and Raph Brewweiler. Going to go up to Canada in a month or two. And I think Stephanie Gilmore is going to come up with us. She's, she's working for Yeti as well. And then um, maybe Mark Healy also, and we'll be doing some hunting and fishing and surfing up in Canada. Yeah. And I feel like, um, yeah, Yeti's been a great, great crew to work for as well. Um, we love those guys and just see eye to eye with them. And and um, I've been really lucky over the last few years to do quite a few of the Yeti Presents films. Um, we did, we have one on Tom Lowe coming out pretty soon, big wave surfer from England. Um, and then, Emmy Erickson as well and Roger Erickson. I don't think that's quite out yet, but it should be coming out soon. And I was really excited to do the one with Emmy and Roger. Roger was always a hero to me. I feel like he avoided the media a lot in his day. And since we're doing this film on his daughter, he was really willing to chat with us and tell us some stories. 
and even share with us like some of his Vietnam um, experiences. So look for those right. two films through Yeti. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I think that's pretty, pretty much what I, what's coming out and what's on the plate for now. And excited to be like, I love working on this rodeo stuff too, because I'm a big fan of that. And like, doesn't matter. Like I would take a rodeo rodeo story to me is, is probably as fun and interesting as anything out there. So, so I'll be looking forward to working on that one real soon. Awesome. Well, before you go, we uh, we did get a bunch of questions that came in um, from our Instagram community who follow us at, at the lineup pod. We appreciate you all. Um, we've whittled them down to three. Cool. Um, first question is from at Joe underscore Puko, who asks, are you writing Channel Island surfboards again? Yes. Yes. So I'm glad I'm glad that's yeah, I kind of put you on the spot there if it's a no. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, super excited to reconnect with Britt Merrick and and ride the Channel Island surfboards. We we um, I rode for Channel Island surfboards from the time I was 13 to I don't know. I must have rode those boards for 17 years. Things changed and now they come back and I've been spending time with the CI crew and Channel Islands and Brit and even saw Terry and Al Merrick a while back and just love riding those boards and being a part of that crew again. When you were writing them, this is my own question. It was probably at like the, around the glass slipper era in the nineties the where it was a very specific, like thinned out high performance board. Now that you're coming back, are you back on like, you know, the CI pro model or do you get to like ride like quads and fishes and all sorts of stuff? Yes. Do you allow yourself to? I should yes. Say. So, um, yeah, I, I am bummed that because Chris, Dan and I are all like 200 pounds, six foot plus. I'm like, I wish I surfed in, I wish like my prime was in the eighties. I think I would have done better right. sure. <laughs> I was trying to ride the boards yeah. that like, you know, Rob and Kelly and Shane Besh and all these guys, these teeny little boards. Anyways, that aside now. So the model that I've been getting from Brit lately is the black and white. I just stepped on it and just felt like I'd never stepped off. Um, and I think that's something that came from Dane Reynolds, maybe, um, which Dane's also a really solid big guy. So those boards seem to work perfect for me. And yeah, I mean, everything is just wider and thicker all the way around. But I really love the quads. I, I feel like I will ride a quad in anything except for like a perfect, maybe three to six foot wave. I feel like you can get so much more range on a on a quad and, and um, skate around. And in big waves, I think they work great. So I'm riding a lot of quads and I really like the the black and white. Channel Islands is my go-to right now, and it's got a lot of volume. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Uh, next question is from at Santo.Ricardo, who asks, what is your favorite left surf spot where you've had the most fun? I'm guessing they mean left-hander. Yeah, favorite left. I mean, I think, I think I'd have to say Chopu is the most magical wave in the world. And I'm, you know, not talking, it's really scary if it's like anything over eight feet. But man, you paddle out there and it's just like, it feels surreal. The watercolor, the reef, the atmosphere, I would have to say Chopu is just, yeah. And then, you know, like, um, aside from that, all, all the waves in Indo, obviously, um, and then had some really great waves back in the day down at Raglan, you know, being a goof, goofy foot for me, that was kind of the reverse ring con. So it was like one of my favorites, but yeah, Chopu would probably be my number one pick. Maybe not at like 12 
feet like code red, but <laughs> I did surf it like pretty damn big a few times and took some beatings though. Um, but I'm talking like six foot right now would be great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, last question is from I am Matson. Uh, maybe it's related. Um, what was the heaviest surf session of your life? Oh, good one. Okay. Dan and I, there was a couple, but I, I would say Dan and I towed in at Mavericks like 15 years ago. It was, I think it's still one of the biggest days ever out there. It was foggy and brown water and um, just as big as it gets. And um, we suited up in the dark and came in in the dark and just had this crazy day out there. And um, I remember at one point we were switching off. We had one ski. I love, by the way, I love the fact that like towing in is, kind of lame now like <laughs> it should only be reserved for the days that are unpaddable paddle a bull i like respect the guys so much for just paddling but back then it was still on and that was one of those days where you had to pretty much tow it it was that you had to tow it was massive and anyways um i pulled dan into a wave and he kicked out because something happened he kicked out and like the set of the day came and i felt like it was like a 60 foot wave like apexing and I was lucky enough to be able to U-turn and whip around and come in. And like both of our eyes were just like, like it was, it was the heaviest situation I ever been in. And like, without a word, he like grabbed him, he got on the ski and the wave hit behind us and, and, and we got just covered in white water and came out. But it was just one of those, one of those waves, like, like a 60, like 60 foot face at Mavs apexing. And, and we near, that was like one of the craziest close calls we ever closest calls we ever had and um yeah never forget that session um i would say that's the heaviest we had another we had another really amazing one out at um outer log cabins towing in um back in the day too but mavericks on that swell was probably the heaviest session dan and i ever had that's mm -hmm. a good answer uh okay final segment this is now uh time for the lightning round so these are 10 questions for you to answer as quickly as you can. Okay. So, so am I, can I say as much as I want? Or is it short? So keep it short. You, you answer as long as you'd like. Um, it's lightning round, just okay. the name. Okay. Yeah. Quickly, if you can, like, you know, don't think okay. about it too much. Yeah. But if your answer is very long, that's fine too. <laughs> okay. If you can only have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad bonzer, or finless, which would you choose? I guess I'll stick with quad. That's what I've been riding, and I think think it works in pretty much every condition. Coffee or tea? Coffee, coffee, and more coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Burrito or pizza? Burrito. I love pizza, but pizza and beer will give you a big belly. So, <laughs> <laughs> La last book you read? I just started on. Well, not just started. I I read about half this book. Um, it was on Daniel Boone. I, I'm halfway through. I'm not quite done, but it pops into my head first because I'm in the middle of it. And yeah, kind of exploring the, the North America in the early days. Best surf film ever. Best surf film ever. Sorry, this isn't quick. That's <laughs> okay. This is pretty quick. You know what? There's something <laughs> about Surfers, the movie, some of those interviews with some of those guys back in the day just like gave me a feeling that almost no other surf movie has and it was like i think tom kern and brad gerlach and those guys something beautiful about the way they did that and I don't, as a whole i'm not sure if it's the best but that's what pops forward for me one wave you never have to go back to gosh um 
I remember going, shoot, I don't want to talk crap about anywhere, but um, <laughs> I went to a couple contests like in Recife, Brazil. It was rough. <laughs> That's all I'll say. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, if you only get to surf one way for the rest of your life. Gosh, I would probably say it would be like a left-hand point like Raglan. Best person to share a lineup with? My wife. <laughs> Worst person to share a lineup with? Someone's talking shit about someone else in the lineup. That's like when somebody's like, that's the only time I will confront somebody is if they think they're cooler than someone else. And they're like, you know, picking on bullying someone else. I'll be like, hey, you think you're better than this guy? Well, you don't surf better than me. Let's fucking talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm Keith Malloy. <laughs> Not that. I'm just like, hey. I, like, I don't know. I get yeah. it. I no, like I'm just like, answer, don't be picking sense. on somebody because they're not as good as you or they made a mistake. You know, everyone's out here just to have fun. So that's what irritates me the most is when someone's picking on someone else. Last one. Finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by... Mm, staying kind of balanced and let's see, staying balanced and staying in tune with yourself and trying to figure out where your happiness lies and, and, um, not putting all your eggs in one basket. <laughs> That's the best I can do. <laughs> I love it. Keith Malloy, thank you so much for coming on the lineup. It's, it's been a real personal treat for me as a, as a longtime fan. Um, everyone make sure you check out, uh, Keith's film on Connor Coffin, which will be coming out in the next couple of weeks. If it's not already out by the time this comes out and, uh, yeah, man. Um, keep looking forward to watching you surf and watching um, what you're putting on film because it, it makes all our lives much better. Thanks so much, Dave. Had a great time talking to you. It's been a blast. So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with California's Keith Malloy presented by 805 Beer. I hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't already, check out Mind Surfing starring Connor Coffin. You can find it on YouTube. It is well worth your time. The Outer Known Tahiti Pro, running from August 11th through the 21st, is the final stop on the 2022 WSL Championship Tour, determining the WSL Final Five, who will compete for the undisputed world title at September's Rip Curl WSL Finals at Lower Trestles. The Outer Known Tahiti Pro has commenced its waiting period and will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Swell is on the way, and you're not going to want to miss this. This episode is produced by Henry Beyer with art direction by Jason Penning, copywriting by Dan Whelan, and additional support from Miguel Clemente. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that it is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash and the Kumeye indigenous people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, 
Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. 